to the Mama Marketer Podcast. I am your host, Olivia, and I am here with my friend, Dan. So Dan is what, number one, two, three? Dan is number four in my series where I am interviewing my libertarian friends in Kansas. So this should be a really interesting one. Um, before we dive into it, Dan, tell us a little bit about you, just like your day job when you're not libertarian. Um, you know, what do, what do you do? Um, what do you do? So I am libertarian all the time. <laughs> uh, but at, at my work, at my day job, I am a technician. So I've been a technician for... Uh, going on five years now, I recently switched companies because I wanted to get a little bit more travel time. So now I'm doing more field service work, which means I spend a lot of time on the road. Uh, so far this year, I have been in three different countries and all over the United States, and it's been great. I love it. And uh, I've been working on metal detectors. So we do uh, metal detection in all kinds of different industries, food, uh, recycling, plastics, all that kind of stuff. Anytime where you don't want metal in your product, they probably have a metal detector and I probably go out and work on it. So it's been a lot of fun. Okay, so one, it's really impressive, like the different countries that you're able to go through, like just being based in Kansas. I feel like most people maybe wouldn't realize that, but like the Wichita area really does have some, like you're not the only internationally based or the only internationally servicing person or company that I know of in this area. So it, it is pretty impressive. Um, and if someone is listening and you also made a funny face when he said metal detection in food, I'm with you. I also think that's really weird. Like I'm glad that we don't have metal in our food, but why should that be a concern? So just know that I also had that same thought. Um, okay, so um, one thing I always wanna know, and I have to put some pressure on you because when I asked this question of Faith, our last guest, she had the most unique answer to this question, like not an answer that I've heard before. So tell me what brought you to the Libertarian, what first brought you to the Libertarian Party? Uh, so <clears throat> Donald Trump brought me to the Libertarian Party. <laughs> I was, uh, I considered myself a Tea Party Republican uh, back in the day because we all make mistakes and I'm embarrassed <laughs> about it, but that's the truth. Uh, I was kind of a single issue voter. So I voted for who the NRA told me to vote for oh, because, because gun rights were the most important thing to me. And even though I kind of had to hold my nose because I also supported things like criminal justice reform and drug reform and LGBT rights. But to me personally, uh, gun rights were kind of the biggest issue that affected me in, in kind of my day-to-day -day life. And so that's how I voted until... Uh, the NRA told me to vote for Donald Trump. And I looked at back at some of the statements that he had made, and I realized that maybe the NRA is not really the greatest thing. Yes. And maybe uh, if they were telling me to vote for Donald Trump, that that wasn't really a good thing because, you know, a lot of Republicans don't like to address this fact, but we had more gun control passed under four years of Donald Trump than we did under eight years of Obama. Mm -hmm. So... I kind of saw the writing on the wall with that scenario and when Trump got the nomination and the Negotiating Rights Away organization endorsed him. <laughs> uh, Negotiating Rights Away, NRA, good, yeah, good. I, I decided to, to look at some other options and so I looked for third party candidates and that's when I discovered Gary Johnson 
and I read through his platform and that was when I realized, holy crap, I'm a libertarian <laughs> and I can vote for a candidate who gives me everything that I want. And I don't have to sacrifice gun rights in order to get, uh, get civil liberties and vice versa. So that was, that was when I first discovered the party, discovered that I was a libertarian and that was my first libertarian vote was for Gary Johnson. Very cool. Okay, so that then means, so one, I'm glad that you've kind of changed your tune on NRA. Um, I know it can be kind of shocking for people, but if you spend more than two seconds looking at, it's kind of like your actions have to match your words, and if you look at the actions and the words of the NRA, they do not match. Like, not at all. It, it take two seconds to research it, and you'll figure that out. So glad to see you've changed your tune on that. So that means that we came in around the same time, though, because Gary Johnson is also the moment that brought me in. I remember that year, what was it, Trump, Hillary, and Johnson? Yep. And I remember, yeah, um, sometimes I have a hard time remembering how long ago that was. Anyway, so I remember looking at, like, I'm very big on going to the website of the candidate, not reading, like, a news story or anything like that, but getting it from them directly. And I remember... Um, I remember Hillary was like, this is how we want to control people. And Trump was like, this is how we want to control people. And then on Johnson's website, it would be like any topic. It would be like drugs, gay marriage, gun ownership. Didn't matter what it was, but it was like, it's not the government's job to decide. It's up to the people. It's up to the local government. And I was like, yeah, man, that sounds, that sounds like something I can get behind. So, okay, so that's kind of cool. That means we came in around the same time. Um, but you would have been in Kansas during that yeah. year? Okay, and I was back in Texas and like not really involved in party politics, but definitely like changed registration and was voting libertarian during that year. Um, so now specifically, what brought you to the inner world of Libertarian Party of Kansas? So that would have been the next presidential campaign. So after the Johnson campaign, I considered myself a libertarian, but I was definitely small L libertarian. I didn't know any other libertarians. I didn't know, I didn't even know the Libertarian Party of Kansas existed. Uh, I didn't know we had meetings and conventions and all that kind of stuff. So it was the Jorgensen campaign where I started to get more involved. Uh, the 2018 gubernatorial campaign for Jeff Caldwell. I did a little bit with that, but still uh, never was really able to connect with anybody or anything like that. Uh, the Jorgensen campaign had a pretty big movement here in Kansas. And as soon as she got the nomination, of course, I did not support her in the primaries. Jacob Hornberger was my candidate that I supported in the primaries. And I've got to plug him for a bit, too. Because he has also declared for this for next yep, year. Yeah, he's running for Seeking the Libertarian Party nomination in 2024. So I will be voting for him at the national convention in 24 in dc does he have a website where if somebody is interested in learning specifically about i know he has fee but does he have a campaign website uh i think jacobforliberty.com okay okay something something along those lines yeah i'm not sure exactly what it is okay. but i know he probably he had one previously it's probably okay. the same thing so uh, i just i just want to point out because this is something that um I have not heard being the case, but I love that while you did vote for somebody else at national, you still rallied for the candidate that did get it, even though it was a different person. I hear so many people that because they didn't support Joe, just decided to kind of like tune out for the year. And that's just, you know, and I say this fully, fully looking ahead to next year. And I have said if X, Y, and Z gets it, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, so anyways, I just think that's a really good example to set, like, 
you can have a setback or something you don't agree with in your party, but it doesn't mean that you go inactive. Would yeah. you say that's fair? Yeah, so part of that too was that I I did still like Jorgensen. Uh, she definitely wasn't my favorite, and I was definitely a little disappointed that Hornberger did not get the nomination. Uh, but when I found out that Jorgensen did got, get the nomination, she was kind of a pretty solid second choice for mm-hmm. me. Uh, she wasn't super radical and uh, very out there. She wouldn't, I mean, and she didn't get a ton of media attention because she wasn't wild and crazy and spouting all kinds of crazy libertarian ideas. But she had a solid principled message mm-hmm. and she didn't say anything that I would absolutely disagreed mm-hmm. with yeah and so i thought it was a it was a good principal candidate i feel like she represented the party well and i was happy to more than happy to help out with her campaign yeah yeah so i think that's, she- so that's actually what brought me to libertarian party of kansas and specifically uh ned kelly and mary as well mm-hmm. so they were kind of of course they were kind of spearheading the whole campaign mm-hmm. here mary in kansas the, yeah Mary was the state coordinator. And at that point in time, I had no idea that the Libertarian Party of Kansas was even existed or doing anything, but I knew that I wanted to be more involved. So I remember having a conversation with Ned where I said, hey, you know, I really like this and I would like to be more involved. Can, like, what do I do? And that's when he started inviting me to things like executive committee meetings, uh, and I started going to those and events that we would have. And then eventually, at when the campaign was over with, uh, I was appointed to the head of the convention planning committee for the 2020 convention, mm-hmm. which in hindsight was probably not a great idea because I had never even been to a libertarian convention. And here I was trying to plan one. But I had a lot of help from people who didn't know what they were doing. And uh, I was able to basically just do the legwork as far as booking the venue and researching options and and getting stuff like that done. That was a good convention. I think that you guys did a good job. And okay, so this is another interesting part because these are my same answers. Like what brought me to LP was Johnson. What brought me to LPKS was running into Ned at Spike's Rally in Wichita. Mm -hmm. And he was like, do you have marketing and event fundraising experience, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yes, sir, I do. Um, so, yeah, so that that's really cool. Some interesting overlap. Obviously, I've worked on conventions and stuff. I was just talking to someone the other day about, so it's kind of a new person every year. Maybe some overlap with, with the help, but there tends to be a new person in charge every year. And so I had an idea from a friend involved with the party that suggested that, uh, I guess they do this in some other states where it's the same venue every year. And it's just kind of like the, like, like the venue keeps track of all the stuff. And then it's just like you might swap out the keynote, might swap out who pays, but like the package is set and it's the same. Just curious, if for transparency conversation's sake, do you think that would go over well in Kansas or? It depends on where it was. Yeah. See, right now it travels. It goes through each of the districts, which I think is kind of cool. But there's people that are like, why Topeka? Topeka's gross. Why Wichita? There's, you know. And so, anyway, I thought that was an interesting um, idea. So, if you're listening and you're involved, let me know what you think about that. I want to have one other question for you before we move on to, like, your specific breed of libertarianism. Um, okay. So, our friend Matt came on. And we we had just – there was, like, there just was – a debate or something where the like latest batch of people who have declared for potentially wanting to be the nomination, the presidential nomination, um, had happened over that, that weekend. And so we just kind of discussed 
the options that were out there. And this, I think Hornberger had already mentioned that he was going to run. Yeah. So Matt's, have you listened to Matt's episode? Not yet. Okay, so in Matt's episode, we I asked him about Horn, Hornberger, what he thought of him as a candidate. And he he had actually, I think, constructed, constructive advice, but he was just basically saying, like, it would be great for Hornberger to kind of update the issues that he talks about. Um, he, one, so one for my listeners, um, you guys know that I'm really into like the JFK conspiracy and everything. And Hornberger has written like several books about it. He's an expert in it. He has blog posts and media about why it's actually really relevant. And so, um, so I think that's what Matt was talking about. Like it would be great if we moved on from, you know, magic bullet situations and talked about like current day topics. And so, so far from Hornberger's camp, I haven't seen him changing his messaging, but I'm curious as a Hornberger fanboy, <laughs> in the best way, what is your um, response to that feedback from Matt? So I spent a lot of time before I supported him when I was researching candidates uh, in the primary and looking for somebody to support uh, in the last presidential cycle. <clears throat> I spent a lot of time listening to live streams that he would do. And so he would do Q&A live streams where he would take questions from people and uh, and have a few things to talk about in, in case there was some downtime in between questions or whatever. And just the way that he spoke so boldly about libertarian topics and just, you know, sometimes you get libertarians that come in and, and they say like, oh, well, we can reform this system and we can change this system in order to make it a little bit better. Whereas Hornberger was abolish. He mm -hmm. would come in and yeah. he would say, no, Social Security is wrong. We need to abolish it. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so he he does talk about, it sounds like, more current issues. Just maybe he's just not known for them yeah, and from he, the outside. Yeah, and he talked about those a lot in the okay. live streams that he would do in the last presidential cycle. And okay. so we'll talk more about that later because actually my particular brand of libertarianism i suppose the radical libertarianism is is basically i pull a lot of those concepts and a lot of those arguments and the reason why i support these kinds of things is ultimately from jacob hornberger okay interesting so, so okay you mentioned radical libertarianism so I know for us inside the party, you know, I think of the caucuses. We have radical, classical, Mises, all of this stuff. And I think sometimes these terms kind of get lost in translation or we equate those terms with those caucuses. And as far as I know, you're not actually involved in a caucus. So would you explain for those of us, whether we're not involved or just new and maybe just no one ever took the time to tell us, what does it mean? What does it mean to be a radical libertarian? So for starters, I'm not involved or affiliated with any particular caucus simply because I don't, I don't necessarily believe that we need to divide ourselves even further as libertarians. Yes. We already get like, what, 1% of the popular vote? <laughs> yes. So we, I don't think we really need to go any further divided than 1% of the popular vote. Fully agree. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, just for me, there's, it's just a... Uh, it's just being radical and consistently applying your principles to everything. So that's kind of, I don't necessarily consider it radical. Most people would. And when you hear some of the things I'm going to talk about, you're probably going to be like, oh, wow, that's a little bit radical. But to me, it's just consistently applying the same principles to everything. Yeah. Uh, one thing that's kind of been in the news a lot lately is consent culture, particularly with like the Me Too movement. 
and people saying like, oh, you know, you need to have consent to do these certain things, which you do. Uh, and I think that's great. I think that we should take that consent culture and apply it to everything. Yeah. It's, so it's kind of like what I talked about in Faith's uh, episode where we were talking about abortion rights, this, that, and the other. And I was just basically unapologetic in saying how I don't think it's nuanced. I don't think it comes down to a week. I don't think it comes down to two bodies, one body, whatever. It is, to me, very, very simple. And it is the same principle that I apply to I don't want a mask or a vaccine in my body, so I also don't want that in my body. And I also get to choose. Like, to me, it's not complicated. So it's kind of like what you're saying. Like, it might sound harsh to you. It might sound radical to you. But ultimately, none of this is complicated if you truly understand your principles and stick to them and find a way to apply them in everything. Yeah. Okay, so I like to call some of the radical messaging, I call it the crazy crazy libertarian uncle messaging. You know? Yeah. It's a little bit like that definitely... Ask my kids next time you see them who the crazy libertarian uncle is, and they'll tell you Dan. Um, so it makes total sense. Um, okay, so anything else just on like the setup and the definition of radical libertarian? Yeah, so you mentioned crazy libertarian uncle messaging, <laughs> and I think it's important to go kind of a step beyond that. Um, it's not just me screaming in my basement about how the government's done all these terrible things and how I want to smoke meth and own nuclear weapons. But it's <laughs> it's the fact that I can actually make some fairly decent arguments for why these things should be that way. Um, that's actually part of my reason for these, what some people would call radical ideas. Uh, Jacob Hornberger, actually, to, to touch back on that, uh, one of his argument strategies was that he would try to take the most principled stance, the most extreme stance on something, because if we like take uh, occupational licensing, mm-hmm. for example, he would say, if I can convince somebody that a doctor does not need a license to practice medicine, then the fact that a barber needs a license to cut mm-hmm. hair is no longer a subject for debate. It's simply laughable. Mm-hmm. And so I think we spend a lot of time or I'm not necessarily going to say waste a lot of time, but we spend a lot of time uh, trying to change people's minds and arguing about little things like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, we shouldn't have like a, a barber shouldn't need a license to cut hair. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And people want to argue about that. And it's like, well, if I can convince you that a doctor does not need a license to practice medicine, if I can convince you that methamphetamine should be legal then all of a sudden the fact that you can't smoke a plant in the state of Kansas Mm -hmm. just becomes so wildly ridiculous that it's almost even tough to understand. Mm -hmm. So uh, the other thing that it kind of does is it takes away straw man and slippery slope fallacies. So a lot of what people do when you uh, start to argue libertarian ideas is uh, give you straw man fallacies. And so a common one, a very common one with Second Amendment rights is we'll stand up and we'll say, oh, you know, Second Amendment, the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And then you get some liberal that lives in his mom's basement that comes in and goes, oh, so you think that everybody should be allowed to go to Walmart and walk out with a nuclear weapon? Well, for starters, that's... That's a little ridiculous <laughs> because a nuclear weapon is huge and there's no way that you, you can just that walk car. out of it. Walk out of it with Walmart. So 
I think that the best way to distribute nuclear weapons to the general population would be vending machines. I think that just makes <laughs> the most sense to me. So yeah, I do think that argument is a little bit ridiculous, but it's kind of fun to be able to be like, oh yeah, you know, actually, I do think that private citizens should be allowed to own nuclear weapons. And if you can convince them of an argument like that, then it's kind of their, the way of just taking the wind out of their sails of their straw man argument or their slippery slope fallacy. Okay, so I love that. I love the concept of if I can argue the big thing, then all the little things should be a no-brainer. But I see some issues with that, and I want to know how you feel. Because when I try to do that, people, not just me, I see it happen all the time online or in conversations. If, if I try to take it to the more extreme thing, like, what do you say to people that say, well, oh, you're just trying to cause distraction. Oh, you're just trying to get really, like, people say that, that libertarians are only ever theoretical because we don't have a true libertarian society. Anything that we say, like doctors not having licenses, is stupid and moot because it's only ever theory. We're only ever talking about it. We have no real data to back it up. So what do you, what do you say to that? Because... We have baby libertarians in our circles. They're just now trying to practice discussing these things with their family. And if they go in for their friend who's a barber and tries to help and they come in being like, deregulate heart surgeons, someone's going to be like, get fucking real here, guy. So like, I don't know. What is your, what is your counter to that? So I don't want us to be, I'm tired of us being a party that's playing politics. So I'm, I'm looking for like, if someone comes at you with that. What's the response? Yeah, so most of this is, these are not exactly conversations that I have with people who are not libertarians. A lot of these are conversations that, because I'll admit, I really like to argue. It's a shocker. Most libertarians don't like to argue. Oh, I uh, beg to differ. But I, I really do. And so being able to argue these points, these more extreme views, kind of honestly gives me something to argue with libertarians about. <laughs> And, and as I said before, it's not necessarily a matter of if I'm having a conversation like this with a normal person, because libertarians aren't normal people. No. Uh, but if I'm having a conversation like this with a normal person and, uh, you know, I'm not saying in the sense of we just need to completely eliminate, you know, deregulate heart surgery. Uh, we need to completely eliminate all occupational licensing for doctors it's like you said it's a theoretical argument <clears throat> and if i can convince somebody that theoretically doctors should not need licenses to practice medicine at that point then if i can get them to agree with that then like i said the point of a mm -hmm. barber needing a license to mm -hmm. cut hair is just yeah. it's laughable yeah I, I agree with you i think if someone gives you the time to go through that those levels of experiment, I think it can be powerful, but I worry in today's society, like where it's like yeah. lost. You know? So uh, um, I have a good example of this. It's actually going on right now here in the city of Newton. Yeah. Uh, there's a family that has a pet pig. Well, it's like the kid's emotional support. Yeah, it's an pig. emotional like, support. Yeah. Pig. And it's a pot belly pig. It's not just a recreational like, pig. It's like I've, the kid needs it. Yeah. And I've seen pictures like this pig lives in their house. Yeah. This is not a disgusting farm animal. That the, I mean, it's basically a dog or a cat at mm -hmm. this point. It just looks a little different. Uh, but unfortunately, the city code of Newton does not allow for uh, pigs 
because they're because they're in livestock. Yeah. Which talk to anyone who raises pigs. A potbelly pig is not the same as like I raise pigs for food. I don't want to eat a potbelly pig. It's not yeah. livestock. <laughs> so yeah, obviously my my personal view on the situation is obviously private property rights. I should be allowed to own and do whatever I want on my private property as mm -hmm. long as it doesn't violate anybody else's rights. So in principle, in theory. Uh, I believe that I should be able to have pigs, cows, horses, a meth lab on my property <laughs> if I want, which I bring that up because somebody actually compared uh, the pig Shut to a up. meth lab. They oh said when I, I made a post about, you know, hey, city council needs to do this. And somebody said, well, if they start doing that, then what's to stop somebody from just having a meth lab? I mean, as long as your meth lab does not blow up and hurt your neighbors... Yeah. Who cares? And so, so that was not the kind of guy that I would engage gotcha. with and be like, oh, hey, actually, by the way, I should be allowed to have a meth lab because that's not the issue that I'm fighting for right now. Right. The issue that I'm fighting for right now is the pig. And so I focus only on the pig. The gotcha. only thing we're trying to do is get the city ordinance changed to allow potbelly pigs yeah. in city limits. And so that's a good example of where you draw the line between um, theoretical arguments versus action. action. Got it. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about in under your radical umbrella, how would you define the role of government? So the purpose of government, so I'm a minarchist for those of you who don't know. Um, Which we probably need to back that up for people that are not libertarian. I remember the first time I was asked, are you minarchist or anarchist? And I think even Seth was asked this at convention and he was like, he like wasn't sure, you know? Yeah. So, and I actually just explained this to uh, one of my son's friends the other day. So under the libertarian banner, you will have some people that believe in no laws, no rules, no regulations at all, which would be anarchy. And you have people that are minarchist. I also would be considered a minarchist, I believe, where we just believe in the smallest amount of government possible, like the smallest. So tell us the role of government in a minarchist society. So. I believe that the only thing that a government should do is protect people's rights to life, liberty, or property. So everybody has three basic rights. You have a right to life. You can live your life. You can do what you want. Uh, nobody can take your life away from you. Uh, you have a right to liberty, which means you should be able to do whatever you want as long as it doesn't violate anybody else's rights. Uh, a good founding father's quote is, my right to swing my fist ends where the other guy's nose begins. Yes. So you can swing your fists all you want, just don't hurt anybody else. And property. Uh, I believe every human being has the right to own property. You own yourself, you own your body, uh, and you should be able to own whatever you want. So a house, a car, nobody should be able to stop you from owning those things. And so the problem is in an anarchist society, uh, and I'd like to preface this too by saying I am not anti-anarchist. I think anarchist is an anarchist society genuinely I do believe is better than the society that we have today because in a society that we have today, our government violates everybody's rights every single day. Um, you're taxed at every turn. You have to pay fees and fines and licenses. I mean, the government just takes your money. They'll take your property. If, uh, if you think you have a right to property and you think you own your house, try not paying your property taxes <laughs> and you'll find out who actually owns your house. And that's just terrible. So in our society today, 
the government violates everybody's rights every single day. Mm -hmm. However, in an anarchist society, some people will get their rights violated some days. Mm -hmm. So I do think an anarchist society, total anarchist society, is better than the society that we have today. I think we, um, I think we need anarchists. I think we need both. I think we need someone that will remind us that, that there is another way the pendulum can go. Yeah. And I think that there are some instances where anarchy is the answer. Like, I'll just say that. Yeah. Um, but, but on the flip side, I also think there's also some instances where minimal government is the answer as well. So, yeah, and that's why I'm a minarchist is because I think that if it's done properly and kept in check, we can have a system of government that will minimize the amount of rights that people get violated and we can all be happy and not have our rights violated. Yeah. Tell us a few of the basic principles of minarchism. So the basic principle is that the government is there to serve the sole purpose of protecting our rights to life, liberty, or property. Uh, that's from all threats, foreign and domestic. So in order to protect us from foreign threats to life, liberty, or property, any kind of invading force, uh, we do need a national defense. Invading so, force being yeah. the, uh, the differentiator, not yeah. world police. So, invading force. <laughs> so yeah, before before the Republicans that are listening here get all excited and think that I'm a war. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, our founding fathers warned us specifically against the uh, dangers of a standing army, and those warnings were valid because we see them going on right now. We waste so much money trying to be the world police and just doing stuff that we should not be doing overseas and. Uh, yeah, it's just, I think that it's time to stop that. We definitely do need a national defense, but I don't think it needs to be a standing army. Something mm -hmm. like a National Guard, mm -hmm. or honestly, when uh, libertarian principles take over our government, all the rednecks in the South with nuclear vending machines, mm -hmm. I think that's more than enough to defend ourselves from. I, I love the concept of like, and tell me if they still have these where you live, because I get laughed at every time I bring this up in Derby, but I... I used to, in South Texas, in the rural communities, we had volunteer fire departments where it was like minimal training. Everyone each had a little bit of the equipment. If something went down in the county, that's who we called. We kind of like all took up arms and we took it upon ourselves to like keep our barns, our farms, our fields safe. And I brought this up as a solution and was laughed at because they were like, oh, fire department and the money that it takes to, to run those. So in my mind, that same concept should apply for like Army, National Guard, I've even lived places where they have like a local like emergency response team um, for like flooding, that type of thing. And it's but it's just regular people that have taken the time to have a little bit of extra training and just know that like when when this happens, we all call up together. Right. So, yeah, something kind of like that. Right. For, yeah. Yeah. I mean, essentially, the uh, basically the same thing as the army that beat the most powerful army in the world back in 1776. Right, yeah, you know, when farmers. We're, when we're fighting for Virgins. our freedom, it was farmers with muskets mm -hmm. that totally destroyed the most powerful army in the world. And I yeah. might be exaggerating things a little bit, but we won. Well, to me, it's a matter of like outsourcing. I have the choice of having strangers come in to fight for my freedom, or I can literally band up with my neighbors to fight for like my physical property if need be. And I'd rather mind, I'd rather the people that like National Guard. I'd rather yeah. the people that live in the state protect the state versus like, I don't know. It, that, that's just where my brain goes to being someone that has like no military experience. 
Um, but yeah, okay, so. Yeah, so definitely that is one function that I think the national or the federal government should perform right. is having some kind of organized volunteer army that's not a standing army. Right. Uh, the other is law enforcement. And so before the Republicans get all excited again, <laughs> this is the, the system of law enforcement that we have right now is just terrible. It's horrible. Uh, they, their budgets are way too big. They're militarized. Like there's no reason They're for... overinflated. You yeah. want to talk about inflation? You want to know who's inflated? Law enforcement. Yeah, there's <laughs> there's absolutely no reason for your uh, for your local sheriff to be driving around in a Humvee with a machine gun on the top of it. Like that's not something that you need uh, in order for simple law enforcement. Uh, what I would like to see is law enforcement that is a fraction of the size that it is now, mm. uh, and that operates in a similar method to like an ambulance or a fire department. Mm. So you don't see fire trucks roaming the streets looking for fires to put out, and you right. definitely don't see firemen setting houses on fire <laughs> just so that they can put them out and have something to do. Uh, you don't see ambulances roaming around looking for car accidents, and you don't see ambulance drive-by <laughs> shootings just so that the ambulance can have something to do no the, oh gosh, the fire department and the ambulance they hang out in their little building and there's just some people that hang out there and when something happens they get a call and then they go take care of it i think police should operate the same way because if you have to look for crime it's probably not actual crime I'm always partial to the like Wild West Sheriff concept of law enforcement. Like it was someone that locals appointed, kind of had autonomy, but he was really only there to find the robbers, the murderers, and the rapists. Other than that, yeah. do what you want because it's the Wild West. We're all kind of crazy, right? Like in yeah. my mind, that's what I would love to see. So, so that kind of goes hand in hand with the fact that, or the assumption anyway, that in this scenario, the only things that are illegal are things that violate somebody else's right to life, liberty, right. or property. So you when you're only policing those crimes, you don't need the time, energy, manpower, money that goes into a system like what's currently being being run. Yeah, exactly. I hear all the time about how like our jails in Sedgwick County are full and we're buying million dollar planes to send our criminals elsewhere. And it's like, okay, well, how you know, how maybe we lessen the crimes. And less than yeah, the criminals. How many, how many of those people are actual criminals? Exactly. That housing? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. And then, of course, coupled with that is a judicial and penal system. So, basically, you have a way to, pr to protect yourself from foreign threats in the, uh, the small volunteer-based army. And then you have a way to protect yourself from domestic threats, meaning bad actors, people who have the intent of violating somebody else's right to life, liberty, or property. So we have a way of basically taking those people and removing them from society. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's a little bit of the basics. Um, I like that. So I want to go through maybe not all of these, but what are some of your like two or three of what you consider token radical ideas that are kind of like the ones we hear about, the ones you find yourself needing to defend or explain, like now it's kind of your chance to like get it out there. So what are a few of the most radical libertarian ideas? Yeah, so um, we just covered obviously the, the basic purposes of government, which means that anything that does not fall under those, uh, those areas, I don't consider to be a function of government. I don't think that that's something that the government should be doing. So 
I know a lot of people might be listening and think like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But then when we actually start to look at some specific examples, it's like, oh, well, hey, I like these things. How would we still have stuff like this in a, in a libertarian society? And one of my personal favorite arguments is roads mm. and the, the total privatization of our transportation system. So for starters, I really, really hate public roads. They're just... I don't like driving on them. They're horrible. And roads, actually, when you really start to think about it, are nothing more than a massive subsidy to the automobile industry. And I believe are actually the reason why we are so automobile dependent as a nation. When you look at things like uh, urban sprawl and why we have cities that are not walkable, um, it's, I think it's mostly because of our dependency on automobiles, on the cars. And that's a specifically American problem. If you yeah. look at the way, uh, and you, you've traveled internationally lately, yeah. if you look at the way some of the other cities are doing transportation, it's like, well, yeah, if, if car dealerships and car manufacturers were not up Washington's arse, then we wouldn't have the system that we have. Um, and yeah, it's there, it can be done so much better because it all is compacted. If you're not walkable, then you don't have green space. You have more pollution. You have more unhealthy people. It, I mean, it, it's it's all it's it's kind of a clusterfuck when you look at transportation. Yeah, for sure. And I think the big part of the reason why the car or the automobile is so prevalent in American society today is because of our prevalence of roads. When you look at how expensive it is to build a road, that's something that people don't consider as part of the cost of owning an automobile or owning a car because it's taxed. They have to pay for it whether they used it or not. Mm -hmm. if, uh, if our system of roads was completely privatized, and people had to pay in order to use the roads, mm -hmm. then I think we would view our dependency on cars a lot differently. Um, because at that point, the use of the road becomes a cost of ownership. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, the it becomes much more economical to use a mode of transportation that has a lower cost of ownership, mm -hmm. maybe a more higher initial upfront cost, but maybe a lower cost of ownership. Yeah. So one thing that I like to say this is just kind of a bold statement, I guess, is that publicly funded roads are the reason why you do not have personal autonomous electric drones. <laughs> and because I think that, you know, something like that, especially with today's technology, is definitely feasible. But why would I go out and buy a, an, an expensive personal autonomous electric drone uh, when it's not street legal or whatever, well, air legal, yeah. Well, for that. Yeah. But then at that point, I still have to pay for the road whether I'm using it exactly. or not. So I might as well buy a car that drives on the road that's cheaper to buy up front and technically cheaper to own. Right. Because I'm not having to pay based on my usage of the road. Yeah. A couple of things I want to say while we're talking about roads. So this is like that thing that gets brought up when people are like, trying to egg on libertarians they're like oh you what about the roads don't you want the government to like keep track of the roads and it's like okay i don't know the exact date but i did go down this rabbit hole once having federal and state level roads and county level roads is like a very new thing like back in the golden years of the world of of this country 
And people would be like, who's going to manage the roads? It was like I said, it was like if you had a road in front, like you have a dirt road over here. If you decided you wanted it paved, you would go to your neighbors and you guys would figure it out. And enough of you wanted it paved, you would do it. That's how roads used to be managed. Again, this is outsourcing a community problem when the community could be managing it better. So it's not like there isn't a template for what to do when we don't have government provided roads, right? Like it's not a new concept. It's, it's doable. Um, and then I want to ask too, okay, we were going somewhere and I was like, pop on the toll road. It's faster. And you were like, no thanks. I'd rather go the old gross way. In my mind, toll roads are amazing because they're a private solution to a public problem. When people ask me what about my roads, I'm like, how much better are tolls than regular highways? I think they're amazing. I have a pass, a toll pass, I just fly right through. So like, explain that. You Pro toll roads, I think, not toll no, roads? No, I think you're misremembering that because okay. I'm a big fan of toll roads. Okay. Then it I must just have been that one time then. And yeah, so that's a that's another common argument. So there's two common arguments um, with roads is number one, well, how would society exist without roads? And I answered that. I think we'd be fine. We have much better modes of transportation than roads. And also, could we still have roads in society? And I think 100%. we do. Um, and so yeah, I'm just a big supporter of turning all roads into toll roads. And people mm -hmm. go, oh well. Do you want to have to stop and stop your car every mile and get out a dollar so that you can pay? And Literally, no, that's, that's not how toll roads work. The, the free market <laughs> solved this problem yes. years ago. Yes. You have a sticker that you put in your windshield. In some states, the technology is so good that you don't even have to slow down. Mm -hmm. You just drive right through, and it charges you based on how far yeah. you've driven on There's that road. There's certain toll roads that go just by your license plate now. Like Yeah, which um, I don't think those should exist true, either. True, true. Yeah. But... <laughs> But um, yeah, so that, that problem has been solved a long time ago. And at that point, it's it's literally no more inconvenience for you uh, to drive on that road. It's just a matter of anytime somebody makes that argument, it's basically just saying that I don't want to have to pay for a service that I'm utilizing. So, exactly, yeah. Which means you're stealing from other people. Alternatively, I'm comparing this to homeschool in my mind. And if I'm not going to use the road... If I can prove that my main source of transportation is the drone or is the, what is Bowen fly, some kind of air machine, yeah, the then I should get some of that tax money back if I can prove that I'm not using it, right? Like, let's, let's be serious. Um, okay, so I want to jump us forward a little bit so we can get to some um, oh, topics. So, but no, but I want to say, so the, the next few things that Dan has listed as radical ideas, let me just list them out and let me just cover them all with one statement. Okay, so he talks about privatizing healthcare, privatizing fire department, and we talked a little bit earlier about um, occupational licensing. So it's yeah. not like we didn't talk about fire department and licensing. Um, this is just the one thing I want to say that covers all of these things. And I had someone recently in a bar try to challenge me on this because he was like former law enforcement, former prison guard, but I'm still going to say it. There is not a single thing that the government can do better or more efficiently than the private market. Literally all of these things can be privatized. In some of these departments, they already have been. And we have blueprints for how they should work. Like tolls, cash in, cash doctor's offices, like these type of things. These things exist. Don't let people bully you into thinking that they're like these theories. Because these are real. There is not a single thing, there is not a single service the government is providing you that you can't not also get from the private market. And bonus, the private market is going to do a better job. Yep. So that literally covers all of that. Um, I want to jump to kind of the, the last thing. So um, 
well, not the last thing, but the last um, idea that I want Dan to speak on, because this is a uniquely Dan topic. I've never heard anybody else make this case. So I just want to preface this all with that this is a thought experiment that we like to go through. Again, not with grandma at Thanksgiving, not with your Catholic Republican aunt at Christmas. This is with the people that are well-versed in liberty issues. These are the people that you trust to get and, your opinions yeah. out. And definitely don't have this conversation when you're hungry. <laughs> oh, I have a joke for you. Um, oh, I have to remember it though. I heard a joke on this topic. Okay, anyways. So yeah, prefacing this all with, um, it's a thought experiment. So tell us about your last tenet of, of what did you call these, of radical ideas, um, true self-ownership, and then lead us into your thought experiment that you like to have. Hey, so... True self-ownership. Well, so first off, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and just say the C word, which is consensual cannibalism. And <laughs> I said to ease us <laughs> into that topic. <laughs> so, so we're going to be looking at all of some of these other less radical ideas from, from kind of that perspective and what it means to truly own your body. So as a libertarian, I believe in true self-ownership. That means that I own my body, I own my rights, they're mine, and I can do with them as I please. So I think that my rights extend so far and I have so much ownership over my rights that I believe that as a, to preface this, as a consenting adult, I have the right to do whatever I want with my body with my rights. Right, so I wanna preface this with the very first time we ever talked about this, I was going hard on like a free Britney binge. And I was like, like her rights were taken, but then people were like, but let's say that she knew she sucked at life. And let's say she did want to give up her autonomy, should she be able to? And my argument was that, that that rights, quote unquote, are like a construct of society. And sure, you can sign away your rights, but ultimately like your right to your body is like innate, you have it. Even if you don't think that you do, you still do. So my argument was that you can't give away those rights, but Dan's argument and a lot of other people's were, no, if, I, if I'm of sound mind and a consenting adult, and I want to say, like I want to, like Faith said, join the army. I want to have a conservator. I want to partake in cannibalism, then then I have the right to. So that's kind of, for me, why I first was like, okay, I want to talk about this. It all go, all roads point back to Brittany for me. But okay, go ahead. No, yeah, and that's a really good example. Uh, but yeah, I do think it is important to emphasize the fact that we're talking about consensual actions here done by adults who are able to consent. So obviously somebody can't take a five-year-old little kid and be like, oh yeah, how great would it be if... I were to throw you on the barbecue and the kid would go like, oh yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> and then, you know, obviously that's not cool. The other, sorry, I don't want to, I want you to go back to it, but the other pop culture moment that I want to explain, because that is a big part of my audience, is hello, Army Hammer. Like, Army Hammer literally is a cute actor who had a, he, he had a girlfriend who went to the doctor and he asked the doctor to surgically remove one of her ribs so that he could eat it. This was a real thing that happened. 
the girl signed an NDA, but then there was some, another girl ended up dead and there was some suspicious things going on. So this girlfriend decided to speak out and now he's like in hiding in Cuba or something like that. I don't know, but it's like, and then there's all these shows right now. Like cannibalism is having a culture moment. Like it just is. So th this is just, just so you guys don't think we just like plucked this out of thin air. I was real seeing these things in the media and Dan was like, well, hold on, let's talk about it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that's basically what it boils down to, is that I believe that somebody should have the rights. Uh, you know, if you get, obviously, cannibalism, well, I guess it doesn't necessarily have to have two people. But if you <laughs> if you did have two people, yes? I have a joke for you. Okay. What did the frustrated cannibal do? What? He threw up his hands. <laughs> I heard that on The Last of Us two nights ago, and I thought of you. Okay, okay go ahead. that's good. <laughs> but say you have two people, and somebody really for whatever reason maybe it's just a thing that they have a desire to do and they have a desire to be now i'm not gonna shame people for whatever their desires are that's not up for me to decide or say that it's so weird that you're what makes you happy should be illegal right I think so it's ridiculous in the case of army hammer's girlfriend if the doctor found a way to safely remove the rib and the girl agreed to the procedure yeah. And I mean, do do we as libertarians, do you as people listening, think that there was anything wrong between those two people? Assuming it didn't result in murder, assuming she consented to it, he had it, he was consulting a doctor, so like it would have been safe. Do we think that there's anything wrong there if she agreed to it and he ate one of her human ribs? Yeah, I don't, I don't think that there's anything wrong there. That's, that's the argument, you know? And, uh, and to kind of take this a little bit further... This is kind of a concept that, well, not kind of, this is a concept that a lot of people consider weird uh, and not cool and definitely shouldn't be legal, but it's actually not that differ different from stuff that happens in society today, especially uh, as libertarians when it comes to things like uh, trans rights. Mm -hmm. We believe that a person should be able to have gender reassignment surgery. Right? Adults, yes. Adults should have, be able to have gender reassignment surgery. Well, that often includes cutting off of body parts. And what happens to those body parts when you're done with them? Is are, Who are we to say that body parts should be thrown in the trash and not eaten when you're done? I, I don't think that that's that big of a stretch to, uh, to allow that person to do whatever they want with their body parts that are removed. Same thing goes mm. for organs. Mm. So I can be a voluntary organ donor. I have two kidneys and I only need one. If one of my friends needs a kidney, I can give them one of mine. Mm. Uh, so it's not in—it's not absurd at all yeah. to, to uh, understand the concept of I can take a part of me and give it to you. Right. Uh, obviously, as libertarians and particularly myself, I believe that we should be... That choices like that should be able to be influenced by the free market. So mm -hmm. if uh, somebody wants to purchase one of my kidneys, <laughs> then I, you can email Dan at no, I'm <laughs> then uh, no, I would be I'd be He'd more be than happy yeah. to to sell somebody a kidney. This is interesting because I was just listening to um, a podcast the other day where two people on opposite sides were debating trans rights, and it was interesting to me as I was listening to them say. The conservative side, the anti-side was saying, well, you can't just mutilate your body. You can't just take off your body parts and become someone else. But yet, I know more than one woman 
who, even though they tested negative for the BRCA gene, do you know what that is? No. It, it's a gene that means you're most likely going to get breast cancer. So it's a thing now where they can test for this. And a lot of women that get that gene decide to go ahead and just have a full mastectomy. But there's also, like I said, I personally know women who tested negative for the BRCA gene, but just to be safe, removed their, their, their breasts to be safe. Why is that okay? Because it's for their peace of mind. It's for them to feel better. Yeah. And yet the trans person that wants to remove body parts, we are singling them out as whatever, criminals, illegals. The state of Kansas is choosing not to even acknowledge them as citizens anymore. So it's like, I mean, come on. You can't have it. You can't have it both ways, right? Yeah, for um, sure. And another thing I thought was interesting, we've never had the cannibalism discussion with like, what if it was for yourself? Like, think about it. If no one else is involved, you're really hungry and you're curious. So you're like, I think I'll just take my thumb. You don't have to consent to anyone. You just like do it in a frying pan. And like, you know what I mean? Are you doing anything wrong in that case? By all libertarian standards, no. You're not doing anything wrong. By society's standards, maybe. But like, which one, could, which one would you be a part of if you had to choose? The one where it's like, I'm going to judge someone for what they're doing in the comfort of their own home to their own bodies? Yeah. Or the one where it's like, okay, as long as I don't see it and it's not my thumb, I'm cool with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I know which one I would choose. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. So, um, anything else on the topic of adult consensual cannibalism as a thought experiment? Uh, as a thought experiment? Yeah, I think that, that kind of covers it. Yeah. It's, just, it's the gist of it that boils down, that it all boils down to is that I believe that I own my body, I own my rights to such a degree that... I should be allowed to do things that harm myself to myself mm -hmm. as long as I I agree. So. Yeah, I agree. I think it's I think it's an ex I think for all kidding aside, um, I think it's an important discussion to have because the other topics that this bleeds into, like you said, health freedom, bodily freedom, bodily autonomy, trans rights. These are all issues that we're fighting for in Kansas. And if you, this is a really good example of doing the Hornburger thing where we're fighting for the most ridiculous thing so that we can trickle it down for you to see what we're talking about on these other things. Yeah. And um, I don't necessarily think that's ridiculous, but. <laughs> well, and in that same podcast, I heard one of the guys say, it's important that we speak about these things because if you're not free to speak, then you're not free to think. So don't not think about this because you're rejecting the title of it all like actually think about it and and like i said when it comes down to it which society would you want to be a part of yeah right um okay oh my gosh i am gonna pause right here and i want people to let me know what they think especially if you're libertarian i want to know where you land on consensual cannibalism message me for sure um because i think that would be interesting to see yep. other libertarian takes also on it. we didn't get to really i mean this is like We've discussed this topic for hours and yes. hours and hours. So Pretty much our entire to, New Year's Eve was debating this. Yeah. Anyway. So if you try to condense that down into a few minutes for a podcast, you're definitely going to miss some things. So if you're like definitely hardcore in the no cannibalism should be illegal <laughs> crowd, I'm more than happy to have a debate with you. Yes. And, and if I get, as always, if I get enough questions, then I just have you come back and we, we answer some questions. Yeah. So yeah, send us your questions. Um, so especially... Uh, I would be more than happy to sign a contract where we could debate this topic and the winner gets to eat the loser. <laughs> so. 
Okay, there you have it, folks. We have an official offer on the airwaves. Um, so let us know if you're interested <laughs> in that. Um, okay, so I want to know. So you uh, you work with the Libertarian Party of Kansas. Your official title is what? Candidate Recruitment Director? Uh, candidate candidate Recruitment and Training. Okay, so I want to know what are you working on next? What are the issues? We're, we're, and also, I want to give you space um, like I did with Faith. We're two, three weeks out from state convention. Do you first, before we get into what you're working on, need space to share any thoughts or feelings about, like I'll just say the way I felt was we didn't really accomplish anything. We yeah. maintained. It felt like a very blah year. Like we passed one plank that I don't think really has any business being in a state plank. Um, we learned we're still split on a very hot topic, pretty much down the middle, still split. I walked away a little, a little burnt out, whereas Faith walked away like on fire for criminal justice reform, continuing the health freedom uh, fight. Um, so that's kind of what we talked about, but what, how are, do you, I don't know, you don't have to share, but how, if there's something you need to get out post-convention to the rest of the state, now's your chance. Yeah, mostly the same thing. Nothing much really happened at convention this year. Uh, one thing that really did kind of speak to me a lot was the, uh, uh, the keynote speaker, mm. Diego Rivera. And, he gave us a pretty, uh, pretty intense speech about uh, libertarians who don't do anything mm -hmm. and basically told us that he sat there and watched us argue and discuss for the entire day uh, and essentially we accomplished nothing, mm -hmm. which is right. We did not, you know, the cause of liberty did not get advanced mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. uh, and speaking of, he's actually putting on a leadership school that we were supposed to have at convention, but not enough people signed up. Uh, but we're getting a lot more people signed up now. That's been rescheduled for June 17th. June 17th. In Wichita. I'll put the link to register for that. It's a full day course. Um, and yeah, I just wanna, I spoke about this on Twitter a little bit. I've spoken about this to some of my closest friends and family, and I'll just say it here. Since January, I gave time that I didn't have to planning convention, which we all agreed was kind of pointless, and I wanted us to have this school. No one lifted a finger to help. We had five people register. And then a man comes and yells at the room, and now people are making calls and sharing, and it's great and everything, and no, it's actually not great. Because this is why good volunteers walk away. This is why good volunteers get burnt out and go work in organizations where they're appreciated. Of the five of us that registered for that training, Three of us are not able to attend this June 17th date. So it's all just a really big slap in the face. I truly, truly hope that the, hope that the convention does make a difference, or the, the leadership school does make a difference. I hope that we have 50 super on fire, educated, trained, active libertarians at the end of it. Like, but my, I'm, I'm just not, I'm just, I'm just not, uh, I'm hopeful, but I'm doubtful that it will happen. I think we're all trying to show that we can pull it off. I think we're all trying to impress Diego. And we're and, and I, question, I question the motives is what I'm saying. Nothing against anybody who's working on this, but it, it, it feels a little bit more like we're still playing politics. I have a feeling in six months time, in three months time, it's gonna be the same, what, 10 of us, five of us fighting for the same issues. And I really, really hope that I'm wrong. So seriously, I can't attend. Uh, so yeah, um, prove me wrong. I hope you guys all prove me wrong. Okay, moving on from convention. Um, <laughs> um, okay, what are you working on next? What are your personal goals for the party? Uh, so 
This coming November is a lot of uh, odd number year elections, which are city council, county commissioner, school board, things like that. Those are all races that are really easy for libertarians to win because most of them are nonpartisan. And turns out when you don't have the little letter next to your name that tells all the old people who to vote for, uh, you can get a lot more votes. Mm -hmm. So it's, I mean, it's unfortunate that our political system is kind of that way, but that's how it is. And when uh, you run in a nonpartisan race and people are actually forced to listen to your ideas and how you plan to serve in government, uh, most of the time they're like, oh, wow, that sounds like an actual really good idea. And it's like, thanks, because we've been saying this for a long time now, but you didn't listen to us because I didn't have the right letter next to my name. Right. Uh, but that being said, yeah, this is a fantastic year for any libertarian that wants to get elected. So if you want to run uh, and get elected to some sort of office, I don't really care what it is, mm -hmm. uh, then yeah, now's the perfect time to run. And I'm really looking forward to helping some, helping some people get started and run some successful campaigns for that. Yeah, so Dan has um, experience managing campaigns. We have uh, Matt, who is our, what's his name, political director. Political director. He has um, his title. I mean, he has training materials available. So yeah, if you're if you're interested in running, I'm going to even say if you're not a libertarian yet, if you're an independent or some other party and you're interested in making a difference, like still reach out to us because, I mean, we would, might just convert you. You know what I mean? And especially with like in Derby, we have things going on with the Board of Education or with the school board. In Newton, you got things going on at the city level, trying to take a kid's pet away. Cities and counties and boards are allowed to get away with these things because they're able to pack their boards and their committees with just all people that think the same. And for as much energy as we put into the next president, the next governor, blah, 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 there, I just, ha I just found out about um, a city on the outskirts of Wichita that is just going to go with two open positions on their city commission because no one ran. So those wards, those districts, those neighborhoods, no representation. That's ridiculous, y'all. Like this is this is the year you can focus on governor and president next year. This year, look and see what's available in your town. Um, the, we, we've gotten so behind on the concept of like you need to be a politician to be in politics. That isn't how it used to be. Again, it used to be your community members helping each other, representing each other. So so yeah, definitely reach out. Um, you have time. You have time. It's only what. May. Yeah, June, so yeah. you don't have a lot of time because <laughs> most cities uh, have an application deadline, so you have to have your paperwork in by June sometime. Yeah. So it is. Uh, We're getting is close. Kind of important to get the ball rolling on that. But yeah, to kind of expand on what Olivia said and touch back on something I had uh, I'd mentioned previously with this pig issue that we're currently fighting here on the city level. You know, so many people think that, oh, you can only run candidates in big, high-profile races. And, you know, everybody wants to run for president and governor and all these, you know, federal-level offices, state-level offices. And it's like, how much time and effort goes into running a presidential campaign? You look at how much money Joe Jorgensen spent, which, by the way, is a fraction of what the two major parties spent. But anyway, how much money, how many volunteer hours got spent working on the Jorgensen campaign? And it's important, don't get me wrong, because of ballot access and all of that stuff. But has the Jorgensen campaign given us any more freedom at any level? And the answer is no, it hasn't. 
But I guarantee you, if I had one, one libertarian elected to Newton City Council, that family would still have their pig. So, so did the pig fully get taken away? So it hasn't been taken okay. away yet. I knew They've, it wasn't going... So they got cited. They have a fine to pay. And we're working through some loopholes and stuff like that. And I'm harassing city council. And I'm not going to stop harassing city council until they let them keep the pig. Right. So eventually, I believe there's enough community support and everything behind this. I think eventually they're going to be able to keep the pig. But if we had libertarian, uh, one libertarian, just a few libertarians, mm -hmm. elected to Newton City Council, this wouldn't even be an issue because mm -hmm. the libertarian would say, guys, quit being idiots. Mm -hmm. Just let them have the freaking pig. Yeah. And then they would say, okay, and let them have the pig. So, or, or even independence. I mean, I think the Republicans and the Democrats right now are being given orders from the federal level of the certain topics that they're going to fight tooth and nail from. I have not met a local R or D that is thinking for themselves. That's harsh, but that's really how I feel. Versus the libertarians and independents will truly see citizens. We'll see not livestock in the city, but a kid that needs a support animal. Yeah. Right? Like you can make a difference just by just by being there. And if you don't want to run for office, then get appointed to a committee, get appointed to a board, just show up and watch the meetings for crying out loud. Like that just you have to you have to be engaged. You have to make a difference, um, and it's not as hard as it as it looks. No, right? it's really not. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay, so I'm about to close this out. I'm gonna link to. I'm gonna put Dan's email and Dan's Facebook um, link in the show notes, as well as the leadership school. I feel like there was something else I was gonna put in there. Oh, I'm gonna find a website for Jacob Hornberger if someone wants to research him. Um, we covered a lot. Is there any like sending off ideas or topics you want to talk about? Yeah, so just if anybody wants to contact me to, you know, discuss these topics more, maybe come over for a barbecue, whatever they want to do. Just, oh my gosh, just, absolutely uh, not. Just feel free to reach out to me. <laughs> okay, I'm sure you're going to have a lot of takers on that barbecue, Dan. Um, I hope so. I, I can't wait. It's going to be the uh, event of the season in Newton, I bet. So, okay, all right, that's all we have. Um, you guys know how to get a hold of me. The fastest way is on Instagram. Please let me know your questions, your comments. If we need to, we bring him back and we discuss this more. Um, otherwise, we'll see you next time. I've still got a list a mile long of interesting, passionate libertarians here in Kansas that I, I want to introduce you guys to. So, all right, we'll say bye. 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 <laughs>